You are listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these uninspired talks given by Michael McAllister, followed up by question and answer exchanges with groups of his students. Normally I try to start our talks together with some wildly inspiring quote by some brilliant, spiritually actualized human being and I think tonight I just kind of goofed because this afternoon when I was kind of configuring what I wanted to say basically it was just about uh, what are we doing here what is it exactly that we're doing in this practice what are we doing in this life, what are we doing in this cosmos? What are we? I mean, you can look at it in all these different, different ways. What is the meaning of life? What, and that's not where I wanted to go, but it's kind of where I was pulled. <clears throat> and what we're doing here, you can distill pretty simply. It's a reconfiguration of our relationship to time and mind. It's a realignment. So if we look at this new relationship with time and mind, we can see a very, very simple path towards the direct realization of spirit. Not in a future life or some future experience, just right here, right now, awakening. Having the same reconfiguration of the body-mind, which is what we call, you know, the body-mind. It's a, you know, Asian term that we can kind of understand what it means. The body-mind is just this whole, this whole self-system a reconfiguration of that body-mind that Buddha had, that Christ had, that all the mystics from all time had, that is available to each of us. So, if we're looking at it in relationship to time and mind, I'll start with time first. Living from this point in time changes our world and everybody else's. Right here, right now, is neither influenced nor bound by either past or future. The only time that happens is when mind jumps in and starts to evaluate. Just this moment just this very moment is never confined by our memories or by our plans. It's just not. It's just this very moment. And miraculously, it's all there ever is. Just this moment. There has never, ever been a time when you or anyone else has not been in this very moment moment. Put another way, everybody, everything has only ever existed 
in the now. Even when you're having a memory, it's happening in the now. When you're having a plan or some future orientation, it's happening in the now. It's all there is. Yet we fight this constantly. And we're trying to reconfigure or realign that fight into being something that doesn't resist that now, but actually gives itself over totally to that now, lives from and through that now. In that present moment space, our personal history is there, but fully living from this point in time, this very point in time, means that our past stories no longer distort life as it expresses itself through us. There's no distortion. And this non-distortion, another name for this, is forgiveness. It's allowing. Our personal goals in the future are there, but fully living from this point in time, this very point in time, means that our future wants and desires no longer distort life as it expresses itself through us. This is openness. We don't live from the past and let that past orientation distort our experience. We forgive. We don't live from the future and let the future orientation distort our experience of the now. This is openness. Bringing openness and forgiveness together. We have peace. Watching our future situations brew in our mind. Watching our past experiences arise. Watching this process unfold with total alertness is the very living of a life that is aligned from beyond the boundary of time. And once again, we can call this expression of life peace. So forgiveness, openness, peace in relationship to time. Living from this point in mind, from just this very point in mind, is interesting because our minds carry any combination of I should say they carry the self-system, or they carry the body-mind, or they carry the, the us, the we, the me, the I. They carry the I in any combination of three directions. The mind will carry the I sense, will carry the me into sensations of the body, emotions where the mind meets the body, 
and thoughts where the mind can exist almost independent of the body. I mean, they all affect each other. They're all interdependent. But aspects of mind go into sensations, th uh, emotions, and thoughts. And each of these aspects of mind is born out of an experience in either past or future that is then interpreted by the mind and then given a value. And we call this, of course, judgment. Everything that the mind filters in our experience, everything that arises in the present moment, in the now, in just this very point in time, the mind acts as a filter and it evaluates. It categorizes. It pushes to the side. It goes after. It avoids it, whatever. It acts in this way. And this continual judgment or evaluation of mind works simultaneously to keep the mind itself separate from other things including, or I should say maybe especially from other minds, keeps itself separate from all things, especially other minds, and it keeps itself protected from being threatened by these other minds. So by the mind judging, categorizing, dividing, conquering, gripping, rejecting, by the mind doing all of those things. By the mind having that relationship to any sensation, any emotion, or any thought, it simultaneously keeps itself separate from and perpetually threatened by everything. This is another way of describing attachment. Clinging. And clinging, this is the activity of ego. This is the activity of the I sense. This is the activity of the me, of the self-system. So all sensations, all emotions, and all thought offer the mind attachment in the face of the wildly chaotic universe in the form of seduction, repulsion, and indifference. All these things come up. And all these things that come up that give the mind an opportunity to attach either in the form of seduction, I want more of, repulsion, I want less of that, or indifference. This is delusion. Living a life built on this kind of attachment is a life that is guaranteed to show itself ultimately as a house of cards. 
So watching our sensations, our emotions, and our thoughts, all these aspects of mind with total alert attention shows us that all these constructs of our mind are temporary. We watch them with our full awareness. We watch our mind with full alertness and we see they're temporary. They're born in time and they die into time. We see that they are interdependent. We see that nothing can exist in isolation, especially our sensations, especially our emotions and our thoughts. They all are co-creating themselves, not only with our mind and its relationship to everything that's arising, but everything that's arising itself. Everything depends on everything else. And also as we watch, as we watch our minds go, we see that at the core of every single, every single sensation and every single emotion and every single thought at their core, just like at the core of every other thing, is divinity, is God, is emptiness, is infinity, is spaciousness. That at the core of everything, instead of everything being absolutely dense, identifiable, grippable, if we stare at it with enough vision, with enough attention, we see that it too is light. And we are that. Recognize this, and you live a life that is aligned from beyond the boundary of time and beyond the boundary of mind. And we call this expression of life peace. And integrating this new relationship to time and this new relationship to mind in this very moment, in this very body, and mind always shows itself as awakening. So if you feel like somebody's trying to take advantage of you, that could be more than your ego, right? The ego is going to be what's perceiving that sensation or that perception, right? So the ego will always be in a position where it can sense that it's getting uh, abused. In fact, it oftentimes feels at home in attracting abuse. We, we need to be careful how we interpret that because that doesn't mean that anybody who's getting abused is asking for it. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that ego can attract that type of behavior from the universe as a way of maintaining its familiar space. So if you want to respond appropriately but, and you still don't want to be taken advantage of and you're concerned about the other per person's feelings, I mean, it's kind of a, it's very challenging to pull it all off sometimes. Yeah, sometimes the best thing to say is no. 
No to what? To getting taken advantage of. If you feel that that's happening, you have to be very careful where you think the other person's mindset is in order to respond most skillfully. Most skillfully is recognizing where they are, actually, in their experience. And being a, perhaps the appropriate response would be, no way. Maybe the appropriate response was, might be, uh, you know, I, I, I just get this sense that you're trying to chisel me here. So then if you're thinking about how they're going to feel, I mean, is that your ego? Sure. Okay, so if you, but how do you, you know, if you're, if you're, if the ultimate outcome you want is to get what you want and for them to feel good about it because you think that you're being straightforward and honest, but they don't. I think that what you run into here is a situation where, when I said sure to your last question, that's because you're involved in a negotiation. Ego negotiates. Awakening does not negotiate. Its light shines equally on all things. Spirit's light shines equally on all things. And so for you to enter into some type of negotiation, oriented in sourcing your commentary, your actions, and everything from spirit, can't help but be giving, not only to yourself and your own interests, but also to theirs. And in that place, the sensitivity that kind of comes up to experience from the open stance, if you will, is helpful. What would be most helpful to this person and most helpful to you all at once? Go from that place. And that's not, that can be negotiation, but it's also the radically simple impulse of the universe to evolve. It's a very natural, undefended, non-negotiable that you're really kind of running up the flagpole now. Let's say they don't take it. That's okay. You can smile and you can hold your own. Okay. But it's ego that's doing the holding. However, that holding is now informed by something that's broader that means that hold can't last very long. The smile becomes what orients your, your, uh, your participation. I'm, I'm struggling with the fact that every day is filled with choices and decisions. And to make those decisions, I think you have to go into the future and imagine what would happen with whichever direction you choose. And uh, when you do that, you're imagining things that may not happen. And a lot of times they're worrisome. <laughs> So how do you make your decisions without going, I mean, stay in the moment to make your decision, but you have to travel into the future to guess what might happen? Yeah. I think when you're making a decision, or I am making a decision, or anyone is making a decision, the choice is informed by an honoring of the past, a responsibility to the future. And um, a usually an unnoticed or unconscious source in the now. Making the now conscious 
allows for the honoring of the past and the responsibility to the future to inform any decision. Okay? So when we make a decision, we have choices to make, and we can really project, well, this may happen, or this may happen, or this may happen, or this may happen. Ego gets into a space, is offered at least a space of total surety, of doubtless, you know, uh, this is what will happen. The awakened mind will always kind of give the cosmic shrug. Maybe, maybe not. Who knows? You know, and they always have that Yiddish accent. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Just anybody giving a cosmic shrug. I, I, I just, I picture, you know, an ancient rabbi or something. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> so whatever, <laughs> whatever comes, whatever comes up in those choices that you're trying to make, you know, tell yourself after each one, well, if I do this, that might happen. Or it may not. It may not. Mm -hmm. What's the most generous thing you can do? Let that generosity inform the choice, and usually we don't screw up. Our major scripts usually are egoic in nature. And even then, they're not screw-ups because they just teach us, teach us more. We've always known this lesson, and it's a matter of unlearning or deconstructing all the things that we thought were going to get us closer to it. There's no way you're going to get closer to spirit. You're never going to get closer to it than you already are. No one can teach you what you always already knew. A question that keeps bubbling up for me as I return to a practice, um, and you may have answered it many times, but I'll ask again. No, that's okay. In this day and age, in this chaotic world and country and even in our communities, how can one's, my or any, anyone's individual practice, how can it contribute to the common good? Or does it need to? First of all, it's a marvelous question. And I think that your practice can't help but contribute to the greater good. Because as we awaken to this magnificent truth of infinity, okay, as we awaken to that personally, what happens is the cracks start to form in our personal recognition of infinity. And we realize that, oh, that personal boundary, the recognition that I thought was mine, wasn't mine at all. It applies to and resonates from everyone. That recognition allows for the human, uh, uh, pra the practitioner, I should say, assuming they're a human practitioner, <laughs> we haven't attracted a great deal of frogs yet. I have a smart dog. You have a smart dog. Okay, yeah, dog. Actually, the, the less dogs are around humans, usually the more awake they are. But, the <laughs> but cats are very awake, yeah, except they think there's a conspiracy. The cool thing about dogs is that dog, everything is their favorite thing. 
You just watch your dog. Everything is its favorite thing. Oh, my God, breakfast? I love breakfast. This is my favorite. I get to go out and pee now. I love peeing. You know, whatever it is, it's their favorite thing. And it, it, they, they smile. They smile infinitely. That's right. But the, the, I guess where I'm trying to go about this is the minute that that awakening that we can see in the raw enthusiasm of, uh, of an animal, when that becomes conscious, a conscious practice in us, it infects just the way seeing that in your animal infects you. When you're feeling dark and you see just the raw, infinite smile of your dog, it changes you, even if it's just momentary. Okay? So that your practice then becomes an integral, integral part of the universe recognizing itself through your activity. And that's a gift like no other because it changes lives, not just yours, everyone's. As you awaken, everyone awakens. And that's not something the mind is going to really be able to grasp, and that's okay. Just following up on something Mark said, um, and you were discussing the person not wanting to get taken advantage of, wanting to consider the other person's feeling, and the way you said it, the, today's parlance of win-win came to me. Mm-hmm. And is so is that sort of almost an implement, I mean, when people learn to implement win-win, is that an expression, if you will, of what I we're think so. trying to do? And in the business community, I think uh, there are a couple of people who are really pushing some fabulously awakened practices in the business world. Uh, Peter Senge comes to mind. I think he is ab- just absolutely right on target. Fred Kaufman is another uh, uh, person, former econ teacher at uh, Cal, go Bears, uh, who, who uh, I think he was in the econ department, just fabulously uh, rich in the way that they are articulating, you know what, it's not ever about win-lose. It's only ever about win-win. So fusing then this dynamism of of trade, of business, of commerce, this dynamism that starts to move in the direction of, wait a minute, we better take care of the environment, otherwise it doesn't matter how much of this stuff we sell, right? When that expansive reality starts creeping into a business model, or any type of uh, you know business-related uh, schema or whatever, what happens? Business then can actually fuel awakening. Wouldn't that be marvelous? The economic engines of the world actually helping to carry us into a much deeper form of consciousness. Don't blink, it's going to happen. In the meantime, buy low, sell high. <laughs> and soon, yes. Yeah. I guess more than any question, since you just sort of put it out there that it's speak your truth, um, I've been sitting here trying to think of how to eloquently speak my truth for the night. <laughs> 
Um, and I guess I sort of realized something tonight that it felt like kind of a, a doorway opening in that there's so much energy spent in my mind as it sits there and tries to make itself something more than the nothing that it really is. And and that was it. I mean, no question, just that's it. So now what? What do we do with all that energy spent keeping the facade firmly in place, keeping the mask on so tight? What do we do now? I would say that there's nothing that I can do except just go with it. Right. I mean, the energy comes, the energy goes, and just watch where it falls, I guess. Oh, and when you watch, when you really watch, when you really see what's going on, what happens to that mask, it what? It what? It's not really there. It falls off, doesn't it? Yeah. None of it's really there. None of it ever has been. <laughs>